0: Hello, and welcome to On the Money with Dynamic Funds. I'm Mark Brisley, Managing Director here at Dynamic, and joining me for today's conversation is Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager, Oscar Belache. Our aim with On the Money is to provide access and insights into the investment management process and capabilities here at Dynamic Funds. Oscar has been with Dynamics since 1997, and he is the head of the equity income team that manages over $18 billion in assets, and he has built a 20-member-plus team that focuses on investing in quality businesses at a reasonable price and securities that pay a dividend or distribution. He brings over 38 years of business, operational, and investment experience as a money manager, asset manager, developer, and corporate banker. Oscar says often that defense wins championships. At the heart of this sentiment is his investment philosophy, searching for attractively valued, high-quality businesses, that are leaders in their industries, with strength in the following areas, management teams, returns on invested capital, free cash flow generation, and balance sheets. Defense means also being willing to forego some of the upside of the markets, so that they can try to protect from some of the downside as well, because slow and steady, or staying invested, wins the race over a full market cycle. Oscar, it's a real pleasure to have you here today, and thank you for joining us.
1: I'm here, and thank you very much, uh,
0: Mark. Pleasure to be here. You know, I wanted to tap in first to your 23-plus years of portfolio management experience. And, you know, you've approached this COVID crisis by saying you're going down the fairway. Can you explain what that means and how that impacts how you're investing? Sure.
1: So, when COVID hit, there really wasn't a lot of information about what might happen. And to this day, there are a number of questions as to how this is all going to play out. So, if you think about it, there were two tails or two potential outcomes at the ends of the probability spectrum. First tail would be we enter into a Great Depression. Uh, we have high unemployment, massive job losses. And it's not a pretty picture. And that was one of the risks that we faced. On the other hand, if we were able to find a solution to the uh, COVID issue by science, i.e. a treatment or a vaccine, then we would then move towards a recovery scenario very quickly. And so given at that time we didn't have the information that we do even today, a couple of months later, the positioning of the portfolio was more do you want to be exactly wrong by saying one of these tail events is going to happen and or exactly right or do you want to go down the fairway or go down the middle and adopt more of a neutral positioning so that whether uh, one case or the other case goes our primary mission is to protect capital and we didn't want to be in a position where we were positioned for the extreme good case, and then the worst case happened, we would always err more towards protecting capital and protecting the downside. So by going neutral, we're going neutral, and we're going down the fairway with very high-quality securities. So that's how how we look
0: at going down the fairway. You know, Oscar, one of the questions I'm sure top of mind for everyone as we continue to go through a very challenging time, both with the virus and economically, is, you know, what does the recovery look like? and what are your expectations of a post-lockdown economy? But maybe more specifically, could you share with us some of your more macro-secular views on a post-pandemic world?
1: Right. So as we've seen, everything has now come into question. Uh, We're we're in a world where uh, economic uh, disparity, income disparity is coming to the fore. Uh, Most recently, as it relates to uh, what I believe is a, is a direct result of the, uh, the, the riots, uh, and the protests that are taking place in America and, and somewhat in Canada as well. So, uh, we have to look at it like everything's changed and we don't know when we're going to get back to, uh, how we were. And so people are calling this the new normal. How do, How do we move towards the new normal? So certain themes that were in place prior to prior to uh, COVID breaking out have, have become even more magnified. So what do I mean by that? Well, in technology, there was already a, a significant move towards digital, digitalization or uh, the ability to work through uh, uh, Internet or email <coughs> communications rather than physical communications. And so that has accelerated such that uh, Microsoft's uh, CEO said that 10 years Advancement in that area has been compressed into into two years, Um, so that's one example. Another example in terms of how we're looking at how do you invest in in the future economy is a theme that I've also talked about that is repeated more and more, which is the big get bigger, the strong get stronger, the rich get richer, and conversely, the the poor get poorer, the small get smaller, and the weak get weaker. So that theme has been accelerated and I think that that's why in the stock market, particularly the companies that are in the public entities are very strong and they've been able to uh, produce uh, better returns than what you might expect when looking at what's going on uh, in the economy itself. So as we, as we look at different themes, I call it rabbit holes. There are rabbit holes everywhere in it. So for example, as we've seen in seniors housing, there's implications on the care uh, that's been provided, the health aspects, the safety aspects, and how that may change uh now to have cleaner facilities, better care, better oversight. <clears throat> that's one area. Another area is, uh, you know, are people going to want to live <clears throat> more urban or suburban or, or what's called ex-urban? Where they don't want to necessarily live in a high-rise uh, in a downtown setting, and they want to live in a home with some land and, and parking uh, more than living in a in a condo, uh, as an example. So, everywhere you look, those are those are some of the issues. Like those are in real estate, for example. There, there's issues about labor versus capital, and <clears throat> we're going to be onshoring or bringing back uh, supply chains that have been pushed out to the. Rest of the world, uh, as part of globalization, we're, we're going the other way now. And as part of that, you're going to bring factories closer to home. There's going to be more automation, more robotics, more technology. Uh, <clears throat> there's the issue of universal basic income, uh, as to how, uh, how do you take care of these people? Like, and so that left tail that I talked about, the depression scenario, that, that was mitigated by fiscal and monetary uh, uh, stimulus coming from the government and the central banks. So how long can that keep going? Uh, again, what are the implications? Because right now you need that, uh, that medicine, so to speak, to keep people uh, able to pay their rent or, or pay for their food or whatnot when they're unemployed. And so the top up provisions have been very, very helpful in mitigating that great depression scenario and that left tail scenario. So those are, those are some of the things that we're looking at as we look for an economic recovery. Certain areas of the market or of the economy are doing extremely well. Uh, as I mentioned, technology as an example uh vacation homes could be another example instead of going on exotic vacations. Maybe you want a, a second home or a vacation home or you wanna rent a cottage uh and stay more local then you're gonna fly up fly off to some exotic place uh again, everything can change if there's a treatment a vaccine that eliminates the fear for the older people so these are all um part of what the uh the economic recovery and the post pandemic economy is gonna look like. And there, every one of these rabbit holes requires, uh, you know, real thought as to how to position your portfolio relative to the changes that are taking place before our eyes in, in our society, in our economy, uh, and, and how companies and people are dealing with, uh, with, with this pandemic
0: and, and the results of the pandemic. Since, Mar- since March, Oscar, and as we've watched this pandemic unfold and, and the situation evolve, um, central bank action has resulted in, in just a phenomenal amount of stimulus being put into the system. Do you believe that the central bank action has put in a bottom or a safety net for the equity market, and how does this affect equity investors, and more specifically, equity investors in search of income?
1: Yeah, so the there's no doubt that the uh, what I call the bazookas, <clears throat> and what's, what's commonly referred to as the bazookas of central bank action. Uh, and also, uh, the, uh, government or, uh, fiscal actions that have been taking place of so both fiscal and monetary actions have helped put in a safety net in the economy, uh, and for people. And so now, uh, the concern is how long can that last and how long will it take for people to get re-employed? And, and it's not, in my opinion, something that the re-employment levels are going to accelerate back quickly as long as people are more reluctant to go out uh, and do what they used to do, and as long as certain service areas of the economy and large gatherings in the economy are still curtailed. So, you know, we'd all love to go to, say, a hockey game or an NBA basketball game, as an example, or a concert, or uh a riding uh, show etc whatever your hobbies were <clears throat> but we can't do that very easily if at all right now and so um <clears throat> there is a safety net and that and the, and the and the question is how long will the governments and the central banks be willing to put the safety net in place and so far they basically said it's unlimited as to how long they're willing to put that safety net in So in terms of uh, equity income investors, what we do is for us the most important thing is the sustainability of of the cash flow that we invest in and the the, uh, income stream or the dividends that we receive from the companies so that we can have companies that over time can continue to pay their dividends. And so we're focused on the largest of the large, the best of the best, the strongest of the strong as we look to – Uh, position ourselves so that we will continue to be comfortable with the quality of our investments and the predictability and the security of those investments as we look forward into this uncertain future.
0: You know, the the notion that as as an investor ages and becomes more um, in in need of, of the income from the investments that they hold, does this lower for longer interest rate environment uh, force that investors are in need of income, and as you said, sustainable income into equity positions they might not otherwise have looked at?
1: Yeah, the the issue right now is that cash is, is incredibly low return. I think it's 25 basis points or 0.25% you can get on your cash in a high interest savings account. <clears throat> and so, uh it's difficult to retire and have enough money to live off of 0.25% without eating into your principal and if you uh hopefully have enough principal to live off your principal but if you don't the idea is to generate those income streams from your principal to create uh an income stream so um uh, for 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 uh, what we believe and, and what, what is that the value of those dividends from companies that continue to pay them is actually increased because the difference between the dividend yields today and the what we call the risk-free rate or the cash rate that you may be able to get on your money, whether it's a high-interest savings account, short-term rate, or even a 10-year bond today in the U.S. is 0.66%, and in Canada a little bit less than that. Well, there's really not enough income in those choices, but there is security of capital. So, how do you blend the cash and the um, <clears throat> fixed income components of your portfolio with the dividend component? And I believe that that dividend component is going to be even more important uh, as we look forward, particularly as you're moving towards uh your retirement years or in your retirement years.
0: That's an interesting point, Oscar. Um, maybe I could ask you for your opinion then on just what is the landscape right now, you know, in, in your investor view for dividend-paying equities, and what are you hearing about companies maintaining, reducing, or outright cutting their dividends, and, and now that how is that shaping your approach to choosing uh, dividend-paying securities? So
1: the um, the stock market, um, as I mentioned, whether for, for what – what um primarily we concentrate on is the canadian and the u s market or the uh, other concentration we have is the uh <clears throat> global or uh ex north america market but only the emerging the developed markets not the emerging market so again the best of the best the strongest of the strong uh <clears throat> so when we uh, when we uh, look at the landscape. There's been very few dividend cuts and and as long as things can sustain themselves We're uh, the markets already anticipating a recovery and it's already uh, backed off from the worst case or that depression scenario as we've seen in, in terms of how it's been performing, so <clears throat> So what do you do? Uh What we're seeing is is very little uh Reducing or cutting of dividends in the type of companies we're in. Of course, uh, if we were invested in a, a, a restaurant, a street front restaurant <clears throat> that hasn't been able to open, and when it opens, it opens at 25 or 50 percent capacity. It's really hard for these businesses to make any money at anywhere near those levels. They need more like 65 to 75 percent occupancy just to break even. So. So, we think that the capital markets, the equity markets are uh, very attractive for uh, dividend-paying equities and that we've seen very little dividend cut in the investments we've had. We've had one company suspend its distribution that we no longer own, and one company cut its dividend in half. It's an energy company that's still a high-quality company but wanted to be prudent. And so, they cut their their dividend in half. Other than that, we have not seen any dividend cuts, as an example, in the banks. <clears throat> the banks have not had any uh, dividend cuts in the main banks, uh, the, the major banks that we've invested in, and uh, we believe that their dividend is sustainable. So, something we're constantly watching for, and we uh, will continue to monitor <clears throat> uh, the dividends and the
0: ability of those companies to continue to pay those dividends as we go forward. Oscar, you've always had an insightful opinion on the impact of investing and demographics. And, you know, as we look towards um, the future, do you see uh, an, an impact on how this pandemic could potentially change investment behavior or investor behavior for different demographics? And I'm thinking specifically of millennials and, and Gen Z who are, you know, needing to focus more on savings versus boomers who are obviously entering that retirement income phase of life? And are there any secular themes among the demographics themselves that you're seeing? Yeah, so, so that's, a, that's a great
1: question. Um, so in terms of uh, demographics, I would I would say uh, <clears throat> what, we, what we're looking at now is, is um, there's a saying, scars, uh, wounds heal and scars last. And so, again, as part of the rabbit hole, what will investor behavior be? What will people's behavior be demographically as we move forward? So I, I put the demographics into three buckets uh uh from a financial perspective. <clears throat> the first bucket is the younger people, say under 30, who are – uh, finishing university or starting their first job or have a few years work experience <clears throat> and for them their financial position hasn't really changed significantly unless they've lost their job and then, then they're just sort of hanging on. um but they're, they're not investing, uh, cause they don't have that ability, uh, in a material way, either way you look at it. Then you have, let's say the 30 to 50, 55 year olds that would be those who have now gotten married, who have families, who, uh, have a mortgage to pay, <clears throat> have expenses, and, uh, their situation is where I think that there could be some scarring and that their, their approach is gonna change, uh, as we go forward. So if you ran, if you were running, you know, living your life well, but had expensive leased cars or a big mortgage and now you've lost your job, uh, because it's in an industry that's been impacted, uh, then your life has completely changed. And as you rebuild yourself and hopefully things get back to a, this new normal and, and we do find a cure, which, you know, I hope science prevails and I believe science will ultimately prevail, then as you get back, you're going to want to save more. And so we're already seeing that so even though there's money been putting in, into the system, People are saving their money now. They're not going out as much. They're not spending as much and they're becoming bigger savers. So for those who may have experience going back to the Great Depression, that really scarred the people who lived through it that for the rest of their lives, they were frugal. They were, they were careful of what they spent. And so I think there's going to be an element of that with those who maybe didn't save enough and didn't, uh, uh, weren't as careful as they could have in having money is set aside for a rainy day that we that we're just going through now, and then the, the final group of people are those they call it 55 plus, were either pre-retirement or retirement, and financially for the most part, if they're in a retirement situation, they're probably pretty well off, and their their financial assets have not been destroyed in this uh, market that we've seen today, and. Uh, but their concern more is like, hey, I got to be very careful if I go out because I'm older and I could be more at risk. I have a pre-existing condition. And so they may just move into more of a sheltering in place, uh, environment. So say wanting to make more local vacations, not necessarily want to be going too far from home, second home, you know, maybe having a, Uh, more amenities in their home, those are sort of implications demographically
0: that I see as as we uh, go forward. Oscar, you've been working, uh, you know, for more than 23 years in portfolio management. and All along that time, you've been working very closely with investment advisors. What would you say to investors today about working with an advisor to find and build a resilient portfolio that can produce income a goal that probably for many seems more challenging based on where we are today.
1: Yeah, there, there's um, – <clears throat> as we look forward, uh, I think the, one of the most important things uh, is that you've got to make sure you've got proper diversification of your asset base. If you were had all your money in a restaurant, let's say, and you didn't diversify and you would have some issues today, or whether it's a restaurant, an airline company uh, – <clears throat> a sporting uh event uh type of ownership so diversification uh is very very important um secondly you have to look at uh what what i call or what's called outcome based investing what what is it you're trying to achieve what are your goals and this is where uh working with an advisor is really critical because advisors can say what are your goals and then tailor a financial plan to meet your goals so for us <clears throat> our outcome based investing approach is that we're going to invest in quality uh we 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 have a acronym called corp quality at a reasonable price we're going to do everything we can to protect your capital uh rule 1 from warren buffett is protect your capital rule 2 is never forget rule 1 but then there are times uh that you can implement rule 3 make hay when the sun shines or there are times to make money and so you always have to have uh a view on in that area and and for us what's most important is owning those companies that can continue to generate free cash flow ideally although certainly not today can grow that that free cash flow although there are certain certain companies that are going to be able to maintain their cash flow a lot better than others uh, i.e., you know some of these tech companies that are that are pulling forward uh technology and digitization and And I think that with what um <clears throat> what dynamics always done is we've always prided ourselves on on making sure that people invest with advice and that clients uh work with an advisor to come up with their their plans because it's very easy to get sort of shaken up by the news and and by <clears throat> events that are taking place and as as we see today, even though uh, there are all kinds of events going on out there, uh, that the market's actually been pretty resilient. And so it's important to stay the course in terms of a plan you have and how you're going to try to achieve that. But obviously make adjustments or tack, uh, to use a sailing term, uh, if you need to shift around a bit and readjust. So, uh, these are all things that I believe are very, very important for an investor to consider in terms of how they're looking at building uh, a resilient portfolio and how they're going to um, uh, be uh, positioned
0: safely um, for the future. Well, Oscar, that's great advice. And this has been a really insightful discussion given the current and unprecedented times we find ourselves in. And I wanted to thank you for, for joining us today. For more information on dynamic funds or anything that Oscar discussed on today's podcast, please reach out to your financial advisor or feel free to visit us at dynamic.ca. This has been On the Money with Dynamic Funds, and until next time, we all wish you good health and safety. Thank you for listening.
2: This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management, LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based on markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, It is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication, but 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values and reinvestment of all distributions, does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.